This is George O'Connor. This is Riley Brown. And this is Gabriel Hardman. And this is the Hypothetical Island Podcast. Hypothetical Island. Hypothetical Island. Are you gonna stay? Are you gonna swim? Is the wrath of Poseidon? Are you gonna pray? Do you wanna live? Hypothetical Island. We're back! So... Avid listeners will know last week we had an unprecedented event in the history of the hypothetical island. Yeah, you've been a little busy, huh? (laughs) So were you. I was going to say, you guys would not believe what happened to me last week. I got on a cruise ship and it was the craziest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) No, 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 I'm kidding. Um, In real life, Riley was involved in an awesome project that took him, like it ate up all your time. You literally said to me, I can't record this week. We were going to record a little something one day when we were hanging out and there was like a lot of background noise, but I had another plan. And we did, we, I, I finally initiated the long threatened cryptid takeover <laughs> where I and special guest host Nick Frella just got on here and there was no Poseidon turns out. He didn't give a fuck. Was, yeah. Just George, <laughs> Nick and Bigfoot. Bigfoot and Dogman and aliens and the Amityville horror. <laughs> the felonies you committed. <laughs> And all the the stuff that I have been parsing out bit by bit by bit, just let loose in a deluge of just bull. But it was great. (laughs) Um, Riley, I'm glad you're back. Yeah, I'm back. I'm not alone. Our listeners are glad you're back. And most importantly, Poseidon, the god of the sea, is glad you're back. Oh, that guy. Yeah. (laughs) So as you all know. Poseidon, the immortal Greek god of the sea, has decided to spend some small fraction of his infinitesimally long... Wait, that's not the right way to say that. A small (laughs) fraction of his infinite life tormenting my outrageous co-host, Riley Brown. Week after week after week, he invites Riley Brown on nautical cruises of a comic variety and then sinks it at sea, trapping Riley and a special guest between two islands or dimensions or other things of his devising. And then makes Riley and our guests choose which of these two locations they will spend the rest of their natural or unnatural existences upon. So let's just uh, let's just take it as read. Riley, you're on a cruise. All right. It's a comics-themed cruise people in cosplay there's people dressed up as deadpool there's people dressed up as poison ivy there's people dressed up as harley quinn you know just the regular stuff <laughs> all three of the costumes <laughs> all three. oh and there's the spider-man's too but nobody even notices it looks like that <laughs> and then you're not the only comics professional you're also joined by well-known artist and illustrator and storyboard artist gabriel hardman hi gabriel hey i, I gotta say i have to say that this a cruise ship that's also a Comic-Con is probably the least likely place you're going to find me in the world. But go ahead. <laughs> Wait, how come? Do you, are you not a fan of all-you-can-eat all buffets while rocking back and forth on the waves? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I, look, I remember the beginning of COVID for one thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I also have no interest whatsoever. I've never been on one. Maybe I would be pleasantly surprised. Maybe this is going to be a great experience for me. You know, you never know. It might make me, uh, make me love both uh, cruise ships and Comic-Cons. Well, well let I me bet. tell you, we do this every week. It's fantastic. It's so relaxing. They've got the all-you-can-eat <laughs> buffet. It's fantastic. It, we're really, we're really going to sell you on it, I think. Good. 
Yeah, the two of you are taking a break from your uh, panels, and you're at the bar, and you're pounding back, um, like, I don't know, what's a good beer to drink on a cruise? Uh, let's say Peroni's, and you're eating shrimp by the handful, and suddenly you hear a like a wrenching noise, like metal being torn by a trident. And you start screaming, Gabriel, not like a, you know, like an emasculated way, just like, you know, a good manly scream. You're like, oh, and you look over, <laughs> you look over at Riley, oddly calm. He's just sipping his beer. You're like, Riley, I, I think we're, yeah. I think we're sinking. He's like, I'm going to yeah. try to order one more for the road because I, I feel I know where this is going and I don't want to be dry. And you notice weirdly, Riley is just grabbing handfuls of shrimp, shoving them in his pocket. Just this is the thing he does. Just in case. Next thing you know, you two are in the water. Uh, the ship has been sucked down in a vortex of dead, bloated comics fans, flotsam and jetsam and oil slick, all that stuff. It sank. Everyone died but you two. And you're clinging to a small door or something. And then the waves part. And the figure of Poseidon, the god of the sea, is standing before you. He's walking on the water like he's Jesus Christ himself. But Jesus was never this tall or this buff. This dude's like nine foot tall. He's got sick abs. His skin is glistening and moist and kind of green. And he's got long seaweed hair. He looks kind of hot, even though he's got like, you know, moist green skin and seaweed hair. That sounds unattractive, but he looks good. And he goes, Riley, I missed you, kid. And he reaches over and he takes Riley's hair and he gives it a playful tussle. <laughs> Let right. the record yeah. show Riley is grimacing uncomfortably at the thought. <laughs> One week off and he's uh, a... Yeah. It was a rough week for him. Good to see you too. I'm going to borrow guy. a line from Sandman where like, you know, he may live for a long... This is not the line at all. I'm paraphrasing. Where like Sandman <laughs> says like, he lives forever, but the days pass no quicker for him. That's how it is for Poseidon. And Poseidon, after he's playfully tousled your hair, he introduces himself to you, Gabriel. Turns out he's a fan. He says this a lot, but I do get a feeling he is actually a fan of your work. Hmm. Okay. He means it this time. He it's means kind of, it it's time. like being on a podcast where the, the host is always a fan. Yeah. And, you know, he's a god, so he's kind of omniscient if he needs to be. He could just immediately become a fan. He could be like, what's your name? And, like, plays it in his brain. He's like, oh, shit, I know this guy's stuff. Sure. He's the Incredible Hulk. And then... <laughs> He's giving you a choice, the two of you, between two islands. And each of these islands is going to be equally capable of supporting human life, but that's about where the similarities end. There's going to be certain changes, certain things about each of these islands that make them either advantageous or, if this is a word, disadvantageous. So because he is a benevolent and almighty God, he's going to let you ask certain questions when he gives you a hypothetical tour. From your vantage point, low in the water, bobbing up and down, clinging to that door, you could just see two islands in the distance, not really enough to make out any details. You see a little bit of beach, you see a little bit of um, like trees and stuff. You see what looks like habitation on both islands. And he gives you a choice, like which of these two islands do you want to go to first? Island A or Island B? Do we see any difference between them at this point? Or? Not really, no, just, just random. All right. Well, Gabriel, which one this is think? a literal choice right now? I mean, I no, you be... get to you get to take the hypothetical <laughs> tour. You get okay. to go there. It's like it's like you get to, it's like going to like the like, I don't know, like when you're buying a new bed. If you're like me, you go to the mattress store, you fall asleep on the mattress in the store. 
They're like, sir, please leave. Then you kind of get up and you walk to another mattress. You fall asleep in that one. They call the cops. <laughs> a week I just, later. I, I, I just thought I might be put on, put on the spot right now to decide which one to hypothetically uh, uh, tour first. Yes, so, you I'm are. Sorry. Hypothetically, no, you have to choose which one to tour. Right. But you get to tour it and then, you know, you're not stuck there until you make your final decision. Right. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. B. B? Okay. Yeah. All right. Obviously. Come on, George. <laughs> Duh. Get with it. Come on. My name is Gabriel Hardman. What about that doesn't tell you that I would want Island B first? I don't know. <laughs> so Poseidon kind of snaps his fingers and the two of you go skipping through the water like somebody threw you like a stone and you both land on the shore of this island. Now, first thing you notice, it just looks kind of like a normal seafront town. Like uh, something like you might see like in New England or Maine, like Cape Cod or something. A lot of wooden houses uh, of a modern variety, nothing like old or kind of like, you know, built by like Robinson Crusoe types. A lot of people about, a lot of, this looks pretty freaking normal. Everything looks just like, like just a typical beachside uh, community, maybe like Amity from Jaws or something. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of people around. I'll say this. They're really cute. A lot of real good lookers there. All right. Okay. I like this island so far. A lot of skimpy bathing suits. Yeah. A lot of people rubbing lotion on each other's backs. Yeah. All right. Legs. Well, I think we found the island. All Good right. pick, Gabriel. This is uh, a yeah. look. We did it. High five, man. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yep. And like you see, like a, a, there's a particularly attractive group of people throwing a frisbee back and forth, and they see the two of you rising from the surf, and they go, "Hey, good-looking, think fast!" And they throw the frisbee. Who's going to try to catch it, Riley or, or Gabriel? Which one you guys? Before we pick who catches it first, I just want the audience to know that when George was making his sexy voice, he was also <laughs> doing a sexy motion with his body. I <laughs> can't help it. I'm, I'm. People who only listen to this podcast, and that's really the only option because we keep the video in a vault. You don't know. I'm a very sensual being. Yeah, you guys. I just want you to imagine George just like. Swaying kind of back and swaying, forth. yeah, <laughs> like like I'm a snake charmer, but the snake is you. Yeah, it, it was oddly not uncomfortable. Anyway, right, so, so they throw the hurtling towards you. Who's gonna catch it? I'll catch it, Riley. Right. Jump up there. You put up your hand to catch it. The frisbee hits your hand and shatters. Uh Wait, the frisbee shatters head. or my hand shatters? The frisbee does. Oh, okay. It's From almost like, it's almost like, say, the frisbee was made of like, like, it, it, it's made of plastic, but it was like the plastic against your hand had the consistency of like melted sugar, like, like, like prop bottles they would use in a movie. It shatters incredibly easy. And the people through to you are like, oh, and there's this one guy who was part of the group who let's just say he's the biggest nuisance on the beach. <laughs> this dude's all swole and buff. And he's like, what do you think you're doing? You, you creep. And he throws a punch at you. Riley, it hits your jaw and his arm like crumbles. Oh man. This dude, like, like his arm is, it's just like a, it's like a, a soggy paper straw smashing against your hand against your jaw. Yeah. Take that jerk. Yeah, and he runs away screaming, and everyone in the beach is like, 
they're horrified. Was it bloody? Like what? So what? I would say there's some blood. It's like, you know, like there's definitely some compound fractures there. Okay. So yeah, go on. People are still flesh and blood people who are filled with viscera and organs. Yeah. Okay. In fact, you know what? I'm going to borrow a line. I'm going to just show this to you all. I'm holding up a Alan Moore, Captain Britain comic. I was looking for this line before because I think he wrote it in this. I wasn't able to find it. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. There is a description of Captain Britain as being a man of iron in a balsa wood world. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what you are here. You, everyone is kind of made of like the same stuff they always are, plastic or flesh or whatever. But you are indescribably hard. I I feel like, so I kind of feel like Homelander here where it's like, like the world, they, they're no threat to me. And I kind of have to, if I choose, be a little gentle around them or I might yes. accidentally like just destroy them all. But they There's have to beware my that... rage. And yeah. so they must appease me with everything that I do. Well, here's the thing. There's really nothing on this island that can hurt you except for like, you could be drowned, I guess. Like you could be suffocated somehow. But like if they tried to suffocate you, there's like you could you could like just to test it out like there's a car nearby now you're not superhumanly strong per se like you can leverage yourself against these things to be very strong like if you were to punch that car your fist goes right through the hood like nothing okay you couldn't lift the car above your head oh interesting unless you were somehow able to i don't know wedge it in a weird way like like i don't (laughs) Uh, like you use like a jack or whatever you'd normally use to lift a car so i feel like if you locked your knees and a car was dropped on you you'd be able to hold it so this this power of mine is not strength necessarily it's what like what what i would say it's near absolute invulnerability okay and it does translate into a great deal of strength just not of the lifting variety because you're able so, to kind of like punch through steel because you can't be hurt. And here's the other really big drawback. You have virtually no tactile sensation at all. Oh. So. Well, wait, I, I have a question about the Frisbee because it hit me and it shattered. It didn't bounce off. Or, yeah. I mean, I caught it. But you, like, I, it's like you kind of moved your hand up quickly and like grabbed it and it just like shattered. Yeah. Okay. Probably should have come with something better than the Frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> Because I was under the impression that the the things in the world were very fragile. Well, they uh, are from your point of view. That's the whole point. It's 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 a six of one, half dozen of another. Like, is it that you were absolutely invulnerable and everything else is the same, or is everything comparatively fragile and you just retain yourself? But there's just nothing that exists in this island that can hurt a normal flesh and blood person at this point. Well, it's, I'm the most important person in my story. So I'm assuming that I'm normal and everything yeah. else is the problem. But there is the one difference. You can't really feel anything. Hmm. That's strange. Which is upsetting because, you know, some of these people, let's just say, you know, some people see like the, that bully who telescopes his arm against your face. <laughs> it's a terrifying and grotesque thing to see. But there's definitely some people, like, there's this one sexy lady who's like, mm, mm, mm. and Riley, she comes up and she's like, that was the manliest thing I've ever seen. 
and she runs her hand. George is trying very hard not to do the sexy (laughs) wiggle thing he was doing before. (laughs) And it's so obvious. (laughs) And she runs her fingers down your face. You don't feel a thing. Ah, that's a bummer. So if I rub my own fingers down my own face, do I feel feel that? Okay. You do feel that. But the reason I'm bringing up this thing, not only can you not feel like the sexy, sexy people touching you all over the place, you can't feel any sort of pain. And you really actually have no sense of how much of your strength you're bringing to on on anything around you. You are like to paraphrase that line, which was probably written by Alan Moore and maybe or maybe is not about Captain Britain, but really applies to you. (laughs) Your quotations this time are amazing. (laughs) You are a man of iron in a balsa wood world. Mm. So anything you pick up, there's a good chance you're just, cause you, you can't feel anything. You have no tactile sensations at all. You could pick up a brick and atomize it. You could pick up a baby and atomize it. Don't pick oh, up- just if I squeeze it too hard or something. Yeah. Cause you, you can only, because you don't have any sensation, you don't have a feeling of give or right. like you kind of have the existing knowledge. Like if you look at a baby, you're like, I know babies are squishy. So you're going to be very careful not to touch the baby hard, but you still don't really have. Right. Any- like they, like they don't have the power to stop me in any, like, like there's no equal and opposite reaction type of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, ba- babies very rarely have the ability to stop you anyway. Well, I know, but I mean, like there's. <laughs> <laughs> the other island's full of super strong babies. <laughs> I've met some tough babies, you know? Um, okay. How about walking? What's going on with walking? Can I walk? You can walk. Do I make constant potholes that I trip over? Like, Well, that's why one of the reasons I had you walk on the beach, because at first it's not as big a deal because the sand does absorb it. But if you're not careful, yes, you can very easily put your feet through concrete. Like, I imagine it would be like the Marvel Comics supervillain, the juggernaut. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Where he, um, like, you would see, like, he's walking down the street and there's, like, all the footprints and there's, like, a smashed fire hydrant. And, you know. Do, do I, <laughs> am I as broad and muscular that i can have like a round helmet like his that actually fits on in some weird way no you look exactly (laughs) that be like like the two of you look exactly the same way you did but yeah i mean you're kind of like the juggernaut again though your strength is more in like a punching and indestructible sense less in a pick like juggernaut could pick up a car and throw it into the sun you can't do that it sounds more like the blob except for i'm less there's less give on me, you know, it's like, yeah, actually you're right. You're probably because the blob isn't actually strong, right? He's just super invulnerable. Right. I mean, I think, you know, for I think strong coolness is. sake, they've made him strong also, but he, um, yeah, it's basically, he just can't move, but it's like, if things get crushed against me, things don't crush yeah. against him, but anyway, whatever. I think he also has tactile sensations where he can actually control it. Like you yeah. just, like you have, you know who it is and it's a pretty obscure character um alan davis did a series called the clandestine yeah and there was uh the lead like the father of them was a guy who had not super strength but absolute vulnerability so he could like punch stuff really hard and like like basically he he was very impassive he didn't have like they made a point of like he never flinched because he'd been like this for so long and uh he he just defeated enemies by they would punch him and break their hands and stuff like he'd be like that but you could also like you could like in this island, you, there's basically nothing you couldn't smash if you wanted to smash through it. Right. Which 
is really the only it sounds like that's the only benefit of this island is the ability to just smash everything because if I don't feel anything, if I accidentally destroy things, if I'm not careful, it really is kind of like, you know, playing a video game of some kind where, you know, oh, you don't like feel what's happening with the mode. character. Yeah, it's like playing a video game in God mode. You're right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess this is an island that would really cater to your darker sensations. Right. Like but it this- has sexy grab. It's like play. It's like live action VR playing a game a video game with really sexy graphics. Yep. And like you said, like those sexy graphics, they could touch you and you're not really going to feel it. Do I taste like if I get ice cream, do I taste anything? Yeah, you can taste stuff. Okay. It's just, it's only, it's only your, your sense of touch. That's it. Right. You're just trying to keep the sex away from me. Yeah. And so, <laughs> well, I did say you could touch yourself. Let's not. I mean, so yeah. You could. Set yourself up as like. Anyway, let's look at the other <laughs> island. You conquer the island, and you're like, "Yeah, do it." Yeah, I mean, come on. We know what can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anybody have any questions? Before we move on to the second island, Island A. I don't think so. Nah, and you all heard enough about this island. Okay. So once again, the hypothetical tour is concluded. You're back bobbing in the water, clinging to your door again. Poseidon standing there atop the water like a muscular tall Jesus. And he does the same thing again, snaps his fingers. You go skipping through the water, this time to Island A. And you land on the beach at Island A. And the first thing you notice, it looks very, very similar to the island you were just on. Same sort of thing, like Nantucket, beach, sexy, sexy people. Okay. All right. I'll start again. Skimpy bits. You look over, there's a lady rubbing it on like suntan lotion on another lady's back. Oh, her top just fell off. <laughs> she <All> giggles. Right. <laughs> and they start tickling each other. <laughs> and that's when you realize, look, I, I'm, I'm seeing George has these notes that are like 10 pages long with this aisle. And I'm just wondering at what point do they, uh, do we actually get to the island part and away from the sexy lady part, which is fine <laughs> well, by me. You know, go on about the sexy ladies if you want. Sexy ladies play an important part in this one because, I mean, let's be honest here, gentlemen. You're seeing these two very attractive, like Heidi Klum esque women just having a tickle fight. It's rapidly becoming a naked tickle fight on the beach. You're like, tops falling off, bottoms have fallen off. And let's just say the best way is like, you you have an impure thought at the thought of this, right? Like you're seeing this, like you can't help it. Your entire body goes completely rigid. Oh. And you are completely immobilized. You just land with a thud on the ground. That's weird. Yeah. Okay. The women, of course, the, they, everyone notices. People are like, oh, those two guys that just crawled out of the surf just went like completely rigid and then just fell over. And like they're checking your vitals that they flip you over. You can feel everything that they're touching you. Like you can feel every single thing. Like, like big Bruno, the lifeguard comes over Riley. He's giving you mouth to mouth. You feel every, you feel the, you feel his bristly stubble. It is, but so, you are completely immobile. So the last one, the last Island was, you don't feel anything. This one, you feel everything. Is it the same degree as normal or is it like, like, I would Amplified. say 
ever so slightly amplified like the way that like if a person who is without sight has like more acute hearing because you are without the ability to move you have more of an ability to focus on what you're experiencing so it, it's a little it's it's you're not like a daredevil levels but you know you're kind of but you're you're, you're extremely limited in what you can observe what you i mean if yeah. you fell down on the on, on the beach you're looking up at the sky you're no longer looking at uh at, i'm gonna at, give at all you these lovely sights that you've described i'm actually gonna say you can move your eyes because that does seem that okay be, but I, if i'm laying flat on my back on the sand it really doesn't matter that much if i can move they flip eyes. you if over I'm completely emotional yeah oh. <laughs> these people flip you over and they're they're rubbing you they're giving you a heart to heart heart to heart that's not a fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're pumping your chest, they're doing all this stuff. And after about 15 minutes, you feel like it, it, your body relaxes. You have full movement again. Hmm. And you're sitting there and like the two of you look at you like, oh, that was really freaking weird. And then you notice like one of those sexy ladies and you realize that like this entire time, Gabriel, you were sitting on top of her bikini top because it had fallen off yeah. when she was having her sure. nickel fight. And she leans over, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, let me just go get that. And you get a real view, if you know what I'm saying. And once again, if your thought enters your head, your entire body goes rigid again. A full body boner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fantastic. So anytime <laughs> on, this, on this island, anytime you have an impure thought, you get, as Riley put it, a full body boner. But you can feel anything that they do. So maybe while you're laying there, they're like, let's help this guy out. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like the last island was like the no sex island. This one is like, that's kind of the only thing you can do. Except yeah, for the well, fact it's, that it's, it's, there's a or have done to sex, you. but it's only out of pity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like weird. <laughs> you really have to play your cards well to be like, like because it's yeah it's pretty right. you have to be like like baseball 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 like every time you're talking to anybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this th you'd have to have some pretty impressive pre-game strategies in order to seal the deal because as soon as it happens but you feel everything and it feels great <laughs> um ah, wonderful hmm. all right interesting can i just point out the common thread of both of these I don't think you have to, but go ahead. In both of them, you're a hard man. Yeah, no, I, I was onto this like six <laughs> seconds in, okay? Like, I, I that's <laughs> Having had this name all your life, I'm sure you've heard one. Yeah, I don't care, so go on. <laughs> so is there any questions about either of these islands? Island where you are a man of iron in a balsa wood world, but you can feel nothing, but you could become the greatest menace that that island has ever known. Or the island where you got to play your pity cards right and you could get fondled till the cows come home. Well, I mean, wait, are these still questions? Am I still asking questions about this? Yeah, you can ask questions. Okay. Um, I don't have any further questions. Riley? <laughs> well, it seems to me like the Balsa Wood Island B, mm -hmm. there's not much I can do at all because I would just break anything I touched, right? Like... If I tried to play a video game, it would just smash the controller. Like, but, I guess I'd watch I mean, TV. The entire island could be your video game, though. That's the point. Well, depends. So, I mean, only as far as smashing things go, which would be fun, I guess. 
but oh, it would be incredibly limited. Like it, it just, you know, like what you be very really cathartic. Get, it, it will be cathartic for a day. For the yeah. rest of it, it'll be just like, oh, what's up? Uh, I just got to have to carefully go into the Ralphs and pick up this lettuce and whatever. You know, like it, it, that'll all just be a hassle. You know, why like carefully it, go? I see well, because Ralphs, you, you're like, you just you go up to somebody like, I'm going to hit you unless you put salad in my mouth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. If that's every interaction you want to have in life, then great. But I mean, but but I think of it, it just, it doesn't, it's, it will be easy. It will be unsatisfying very quickly. I mean, maybe become- if you're, maybe if you're all about superhero power fantasies and, uh, well, you know, then, it becomes then be difficult great. to live. Yeah. You know, like it's like, there's just, you're very limited in all interactions other than the strictly demolition based ones, which isn't something that comes into my life that often. So, I mean, maybe I'm missing out. Yeah, yeah, you're not completely invulnerable. That's probably why. And now, even in this scenario where you're forcing people to do things, people are not that competent. You know, like I, I don't think that you can. You know, <laughs> like, trip and fall on you. Literally depending on everyone around you at every moment, and to some extent, yeah, you'll smash their head or whatever if you, you know, if they they do something wrong. But like, you know, I don't want. I don't really want to go through all that all the time. I, I mean, crying, I oh, whining, like, oh my God, my hand got smashed into a million pieces. It's like, give me a break. You don't necessarily smash everything. It's like, like you could guess how much, like, all right, say like you walk into like a McDonald's and by walking, you like smash through the wall and there's an array of food there in front of you. And the first burger, you, you, you were like, okay, I think I know how hard to grab it. The first one, you just pulverize. You're like, okay, I will try exerting a little less force. Through trial and error, you will be able to sometimes feed yourself. It's unreliable. Yeah, I mean, you know, I yogurt would be good because you can't That's smash true. that more than it starts off pretty smashed. You like, you know? With your hand, just eat it like a monster. Salsa, you know. Salsa. So, but any utensils you try to use are going to be useless, right? You would have to yeah. very finely like figure out how to how to pick up a fork and use it, and it would. I mean, imagine the tedious level of concentration that would go into just forks, especially I mean, when you can't horrible. feel anything. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't even guess, really know like how you're not getting much feedback from the item about how much pressure you're giving it. So are you ready to make your final decisions, Gabriel and Riley? I am. Yeah. All right. As our guest, Gabriel, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'm going with Island A. I easily can imagine ways to manipulate this situation that are much more interesting to me than uh, than being able to just go around and break things and intimidate people, right? Island like, A, once again, is the island where you go rigid at any impure thought. Yeah. And I, your entire body, but you become completely paralyzed with the exception of your eyes. Yeah, because there's there's a whole... I, just the dumb brute force of Island B... You know, and you're the the fact that you're you're some kind of strong man who's supposedly manipulating everybody, but in, you know, to your will because you could break anything. I just don't. I don't believe that this is this is a long term thing that's going to work out. I yeah. think that the uh, that the that there's a lot more that you could do, and a lot more that you, and a lot more ways to uh, exploit the situation on Island A uh, that would be uh, better for everybody. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm with I'm with Gabe. I'm going with uh, full body boner island as well. Um, that that's that's the other way of putting it. <laughs> I I just feel like yeah, it's too hard to just live your life on island B. Like island A, there will be 
you know, 15 minute increments of inconvenience on occasion. But Just 15 minutes. Well, that's what he said, right? Like, oh, 15 okay. minutes it's only 15 gone. minutes. OK, we'll see there. It's even better. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like like you're literally you were on the island for like three minutes and you already saw a naked tickle fight. I mean, well, that's I mean, it's a spike my eyes can move anyway. Like I can just prop myself up on the beach and just you're just going to have to spend a lot of all of the rest of your time developing relationships <laughs> <laughs> or just just hang out with very unattractive people and you don't have those thoughts. And then you go to the beach every now and then for a thrill. Hmm. All right, now is the t- <laughs> I, I I customarily weigh in, and I, I really thought at least one of you would choose the. Well, I I, I thought one of you would choose the island where you're an unstoppable juggernaut of destruction. It sounds fun, but you took all the joy out of it. Yeah, you know? it it doesn't even sound fun to me. It just sounds like you're abusing everyone. It I mean, like that. It's too well adjusted, Mister. Just for you that. Try, well, it it makes it too hard to not abuse people. Yeah. And like, basically, you would have to have servants to do things for you because you'll smash everything. I think and, I'm going to I think know? I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like a we I'll set myself as a despot. I'll be like, bow before me. Bring me McDonald's. No, I don't need McDonald's. Bring me Stop. whatever I, they have. There, to do there, it. there is a way in on Island B where you could just be so like charismatic of a person. All of my all of my angles here are how to how do you how do you manipulate them into pitying you? But like uh, yeah. the but like I do think that there's a there's a version on on Island B as well where people go, oh, my God, that guy can't do any of these things that that you and I take for granted. We're, we're going to help him out. What's that line from the never ending story? These hands don't know their strength. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. That's right. what we do. I'm going to go there. I'm like, hey, who's the biggest asshole on this island? And I'm like, the guy that has punched you. I'm like, the second biggest asshole. That guy over there. I'm going to go beat the living shit, literally, out of all the bad people on this island. And they will venerate me as their hero. Yeah, so you'll be a superhero, but you won't feel anything you'll need people to like feed you because you'll smash any food or you know yeah. eat a lot of yogurt which will yeah. i'll eat a lot yeah. of yogurt i just yeah i, I, I just feel like that's stuff. that's may, issue one maybe the first arc this thing has to run for a while so <laughs> yeah. like yeah. I, I, I i i'm not <laughs> i'm not buying that that you know, uh what? you know the, the further developments involved second arc i go bad desperate. and i destroy everything duh you know, it, this is this is one of those situations where the length of time becomes an issue. If it was like a weekend, Island A might be kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. But when you're talking years upon years upon who knows how long, it's like, I don't think I could handle it for that much time. I didn't even you could drown. So I guess that was my my out. Right. And after, after I've reduced this island to a steaming pile. I guess I jump in a lake. Just walk, walk <laughs> it, walk into the ocean. You know, that sounds I put that tickle island. I put that island. Feel the wrath of Poseidon. And once again, you're listening to the Hypothetical Island podcast. Our week, our guest this week is Mr. Gabriel Hardman. Gabriel, could you please give a brief bio of yourself to our listeners? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a, I write and draw comics, but I'm, I'm also a storyboard artist for movies. Uh, the, the storyboard job has been kind of my, uh, my big main day job sort of career. I started when I was 22 on the, uh, on the first Austin Powers movie. Oh, wow. I have, uh, I've been doing, you know, I've been working in that business the entire time. I also, um, about 12 years ago or so, I got into comics. Uh, I, uh, I drew stuff for Marvel Hulk and Agents of Atlas and some stuff uh, early on. And then, but then at a certain point, I only ever wrote and drew things, uh, sometimes with my former wife, uh, Karina Becco, and we write together uh, a lot of stuff also on my own. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, so writing and drawing comics has been my thing for, you know, for quite a while. Haven't actually worked with another writer in a long time. And, uh, you know, and in, on the storyboard front, I, you know, over the years I've worked on uh, Inception and Interstellar with Chris Nolan and- the, A lot of really uh, cool. The, uh, yeah, and, you know, Logan and Ford Ferrari with uh, Jim Mangle more recently. Uh, I, I did Tropic Thunder with Ben Stiller, a whole bunch of movies. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that's, that's, I've kind of had these parallel careers and uh, I'm, uh, I, I went a little bit further back into the storyboard career for a little while in the last couple of years, trying to get back more to comics. Did, did you start off doing storyboards or start off doing comics? Well, this is a, this is a controversial topic. Oh, uh, is it? Okay. Because, uh, <laughs> I stepped in it already. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, get, I'm, just start talking. I may or may not have uh, drawn comics under another name when, <gasps> uh, when I was, uh, when starting when I was like 18 years old. So uh, like from, I is may or may name? not have drawn comics from when I was 18 years old to 22. Uh, and the, and so like uh, I, I had a I had a career actually. I did start out drawing comics. I drew War Machine for Marvel starting when I was like eighteen. I like you know eighteen. Yeah, yeah. I was wow. eighteen when I started. When I took I, well, I started sending in samples uh, when I was fourteen. Like I started like really diligently like doing uh, you know doing sequential samples and like sending them in. And so you and, had your eye on the prize from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but. Uh, you know, it wasn't like I was any good. I mean, when I, I mean, sure. if you go back and look at the stuff I did when I was 18, it's loud, you know? And so uh, like I did that for a couple of years, never happy with anything I did then, but I did do them under another name for, uh, for, for reasons that don't really make any sense when you say them as an adult. And uh, <laughs> the, so like uh, it, that part of my career is just separate because it's under another name. It's another thing. Okay. So like, uh, even though a lot of people seem to know about it, probably because half the time I admit it and half the time I, pret I pretend like I wasn't that guy. You go to a so, comic convention and they bring up an old war machine. You say, ah, that's a different name on there. That's not me. So yeah, uh, well, I, or I'll <laughs> sign it in the back, puts on a uh, fake wig and comes out. Yes. No, I, well, Hey, look, I've had a whole idea about this, about potentially, uh, potentially just resurrecting that guy and coming back with just like kind of a wig and, you know, uh, like, I like a, a, a little, little outfit. Funny. I go to a con, I sit at a table. I just pretend to be this other guy who has would, spent all this I mean, time away from comics. Right? That would be such, I mean, such a foolish like marketing move, but it would be kind of fun to see like I who mean, shows so, up, so, who sees your name in yeah. the advertising and shows right. up with like these old war machine comics. And it's just so Whatever happened, man, I love this stuff. It's so stupid on the surface, right? Like yeah. it would be the most obvious thing in the world, but I would not admit to it, you know? Right. And so, uh, but like, 
but yeah, so I did have that early career. I got in, and then I got, I moved to Los Angeles and got into storyboards pretty early too, because I was like 22. I never went to college. Really. So uh, oh, wow. like, uh, I mean, I went to one semester of school of visual arts for fine art. That was it. So uh, like, I, and just couldn't afford to go anywhere anymore. That's, and it was fine. Yeah. I did, I don't, I, you know, so like, uh, I, I have, always done i mean i've always worked in this kind of thing i've always been a storyteller visual storyteller you know uh i've i've the only real job i had you know was like working at a bookstore in high school a used bookstore in high school and then uh, i was a a gallery guard at the guggenheim for uh, like uh nine months uh when i was 18 like right as i was getting into comics man you're doing a lot of stuff at 18 where i think i was not yeah <laughs> that was a busy year for you <laughs> i know you had secret was. identities you were drawing comics you were yeah. uh, like you were 18, 19 <laughs> all that stuff you know like i did i it didn't seem to me at the time i seemed I, I was i was ambitious and frustrated and not you know like that wasn't enough i didn't i wasn't you know uh especially since i didn't like the way the work turned out the inker who i was given was not good or, or at least Whoa, not snap. now we got to find out what it was so we can uh, get the inker on yeah please do and uh, the and so uh, or at least not appropriate, you know. I mean, because and there were a couple, but you know, Bob Wyachek inked some of the covers and stuff, and he was great. He was like a really good, Certainly. solid, you know, yeah. artist, you know. And uh, uh, the inker I I had on War Machine uh, couldn't seem to draw a nose, so like that that was a you know that was a big detriment to me. Is that why War Machine's mask doesn't yeah. have a nose? Yes. You kept drawing these elaborate nostrils yes. on. He's like, yeah. no, we got to buy And the editor's just like, it, he, the mask doesn't have a fucking nose, okay? Just stop it. Then how does he smell? And your editor's like, terrible. Uh-huh. And then I, that's why I quit the book, because, because uh, like, fuck this. You had he a can't vision smell of War Machine that, with a nose. Like, in issue two, he smelled something. So, uh, like, wh- how does this fucking make sense? Why wouldn't he just go to Reed Richards and get a nose? Yeah. Or Tony Stark, I guess, because what? Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, uh, so yeah, then storyboard career, then you know, then, then that solidly for like ten years, and then I went back to comics. I would have to say we've had some people who've broken in pretty young. I think eighteen at Marvel might be the youngest we've had on this uh, podcast. No, because wasn't Panosian doing it? Nineteen. Oh, okay. Think I? I wasn't eighteen for super long. I was eighteen when I got the job for a couple of months. I think then it was my birthday and I was nineteen or something. It was sure. It, it was it like, but I, I was eighteen when I got the job. But it's more in the like nineteen area. I, think. I wasn't eighteen for super long. It's like I was eighteen years. It's really long. It's a long time to get over it. Um. So you okay? So what drew you into storyboarding? So like, because so it's because it, it sounds like you've been working like at fourteen. You're sending in samples to Marvel. You want to work there. You got the job, and you leave after a couple of years. So what was I didn't the... leave. I was fired. I was wait, fired wait. off of War Machine. Oh, because I, I don't know if you heard this part, but I was a teenager. And so I didn't have the greatest skills for okay, dealing sure. with like the editor. And, you know, uh, and so at some point I pissed off the editor. And, the, and certainly the entire time, the editor was much more sympathetic towards the inker than me. And, right. uh, and so uh, like I did get, I got fired off of that. I did like nine issues, got fired off of that, did some other stuff, did, ended up doing some stuff for Malibu. 
you know, when they had the Ultraverse, you know, yeah. and uh, and so, yeah. uh, but I was always a movie guy. Like I was always a film fan, and I was always very much into. And by the time of, even by the time I was first getting into comics and stuff, I, I you know, I moved to New York City. I went to old movies all the time. I, you know, it was like a you know, kid cinephile, you know? And so, and like my, you know, uh, the the most important book to me still ever is the uh, Hitchcock, uh, uh, this this Hitchcock interview book, Hitchcock Truffaut, where uh, the French director of Francois Truffaut interviews him and Hitchcock talks about like his ideas about visual storytelling at length in it. And there are examples of things and there are storyboards and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and like that, from the beginning, even though I don't, the the storyboards versus comic book and movie versus is a tedious conversation, which is not all that valuable. But the uh, but these core storytelling ideas, if you can parse this stuff, are very valuable to me, right? Yeah. And so, like uh, it that that was huge influence on me. So I always thought I wanted to make. I've only really wanted to make movies. I I mean, I wanted to make comics. Uh, I wanted you know I wanted to make movies. But uh, I didn't intention, didn't think, oh, I'm desperate to be a storyboard artist. But the skills I had, uh, you yeah. know, kind of understanding filmmaking and being able to draw, uh, you know, turned out to be very valuable when I did actually get into doing boards, you know. Okay, you mentioned that it's tedious. So if it's not an interesting conversation, we could make it brief. Sure. But, um, I, I'm definitely. Did, did I step on that question a little bit there? Well, yeah. Well, I don't know, because I'm not entirely sure I knew what you're talking about. But um I was just wondering, what do you see as the difference between storyboarding and comics? Because they seem pretty similar. Um, I mean, they're, they're, well, the thing, like in a, in a certain way, yeah. obviously, no, no, like uh, in the most basic way, they are images, you know, yeah. uh, you know, that that are describing a narrative. But the uh, but like beyond that, it's just the um, the the way you're using them, what the, what they're used for, have nothing to do with each other, right? The right. I mean, a comic is a is the final product you're communicating uh you know, uh, a story to uh to the reader you're you're directly engaging the audience uh storyboards are a part of the process of making a film they're the you know there's something that uh that everybody on the crew can refer to to understand what you know the director wants or what what they're right. you know planning to do the um they're not i mean comics are uh you know uh, as, as everybody here knows, like it's, you know, the unit of a comic is, you know, there's a panel, there's a page and there's a, there's a book and the, and that's a very limited real estate to communicate these things. You've got to, sure. you're, you, it's, True. you know, it's poetry, not prose. And so like you're, you're winnowing it down to the, you know, to the, the images, the bare minimum images, almost no matter what that will represent the idea that you're getting across in storyboards. It's, you can draw a thousand panels to describe one shot or a thousand yeah. boards to describe one shot. It's all about just communicating the idea to the crew. It's not, there's no formal constraints there apart from the fact that you're, it's just anything you can do to get across the ideas of the shots, right? Right. So like, they're not, they're, they're not doing the same thing in any way, you know? And it, story words are not a final thing. Maybe they're publishing a book somewhere or whatever, but who cares, sure. you know? That's not, the movie is the final thing. Sure, yeah. So, uh, that I, they're just, it's, it's something that people bring up a lot because they talk about story, like a kind of, like, well, I well, think misguided idea. Yeah, but I do, I do think it's a misguided idea that, that 
that storyboards are somehow influencing the way that comics are formatted in particularly back when people thought about decompression and all that sort of stuff in oh. comic storytelling, you know, well, there's and, also the, uh, uh, the hierarchy of panels on a page, like, like you're yes, saying like, the there, final, is, that is the final yes. art project. And like, you have like, you know, some panels are going to have more prominence than others. Whereas like in a storyboarding of a similar sequence, like you said, there might be more, individual illustrations trying to tell that sequence but yeah they're they're, they're very different but they're related they're like uh cousins that there's, a, there's yeah. a lot of overlap of storytelling skills yeah oh uh, absolutely there definitely is but those storytelling skills are about the difference between movies and comics because those are yeah. the two final products right it's right. The, the storyboards are just a step along the way it's just describing a shot that they're going to go out and shoot sure. right or create digitally or okay, however well, it works you know, it, it's it's movies versus comics. It's not actually storyboards versus comics. Okay. I, well, yeah, I guess I was just curious about your, how you approach it. Like, are there things from storyboards that you bring to comics and things from comics that you bring to storyboards? Absolutely. Because you're, I mean, but you're also all the time thinking about the demands of the medium, right? You're not yeah. going, I, yeah, you know, because totally. like it, it's, you know, but those, those fundamental storytelling ideas, definitely, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, but I don't think that any of, I mean, I, I, I believe in rules, but I also, you know, I mean, and, you know, like it doesn't, I don't really think that, uh, that getting so wrapped up in, in, you know, the, the specific, uh, you know, like you, I mean, they're, they're just clearly things you can do in comics and things you can't, can't and, and vice versa. And yeah. you want to, you want to lean into the things that they do well, not the, you know, uh, and, you know, there's overlap there, sure. But I mean, uh, you know, I, well, I do always think about that stuff, you know, the Hitchcock stuff, the things that, you know, yeah. the, uh, you know, things I've learned in filmmaking as far as just the ways you tell a story and stuff. Uh, and uh, and I do in comics, I guess, I lean towards uh, trying to to lean into the kind of like subtleties of things, like not yeah. make things as, as expressive as humanly possible. And it's also something that I do a lot in, in films where I feel like there's a value in kind of like holding back some and, and, uh, and, and, you know, having the quiet part and the loud part, having the, you know, there's no impact if the, you know, if, if, uh, if everything is impactful, you know, right. so like, yeah. you know, like I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I would not make a good uh, Marvel artist in the sixties, right? Like right. everything <laughs> had impact. Right. Right. And, you know, uh, and I like this, I like to be able to pull back and have, you know, and, and build up and, and, you know, orchestrate things. That's what I do in movies, in sequences. I orchestrate the, you know, the ups and downs of it and the, you know, the shape of the sequences and stuff. And I, and I, I do approach a lot in comics that way too, but just not exactly the same way. Sure. How much do you work with the director in the movie sense? Are you given kind of carte blanche to, like, say there's a sequence, like, let's say there is uh, characters having a discussion when suddenly a car crashes through a storefront. Like that's, mm -hmm. would the director kind of come and give you a description of how they want things to be uh, directed in this? Or do you kind of throw out your own visual ideas and then the director looks at that and is like, oh, that's great. And then they work from there. Like how, what's the push and pull on that? I mean, I've every director works differently, but I, you know, at certain points I've, you know, I've certainly worked with, uh, with directors who had very specific ideas about the shots that they wanted and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and the idea was to kind of illustrate these shots. Barry Sonnenfeld, the guy who directed the Men in Black movies, and or, is like this. Or uh, there's a guy called Brad Silberling, who is sort of a Spielberg 
uh, acolyte who has very, very specific ideas about the shots. This, the vast majority though, is not like that. Like I, the vast majority of the time I'm sort of hired because I know what I'm doing and I can come in and, you know, uh, and like, people don't have to tell me things, right? Like I, I, you know, maybe a, a, often there's no script for a thing, right? Like often there's a sequence, there's no real, it's not like there's a plan. It's right. that uh, we're, com I'm coming, I'm usually very early on projects. So things are not necessarily all the way developed or there's an idea and it's just like, what about this, you know? And, uh, and, and I will kind of do, uh, take a shot at a sequence, like develop it and show it to people. And very, very, very often, I'm the one who's just taking a first pass at something, showing it to the director, getting feedback. Then we start adjusting it and everything. And it's not like I'm taking anything away from the director. It's just that like, I'm just kind of like the first one presenting an idea of how it could go. All right. Hypothetical island question. You're stuck on a boat between two islands. One island where you draw storyboards the rest of your life. Oof. Island where you draw <laughs> comics the rest of your life. Uh, Equal well, amount of creature comforts on both. You're not invulnerable in either. Uh, so I don't have to make a living on either of these islands. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, which <laughs> one? <laughs> Does you get paid movie money for drawing a comic book? Yeah, let's just assume it's like, a, yeah, it's a, it's a, some sort of idyllic society where there's a, it's post-capitalism. Yeah. It's like the, Star Trek or something. So the, the question is between do I draw storyboards or do I draw comics? Yeah, do which I, do you like I better? Draw comics. I was just thinking comics, like in a second. If okay. I never drew another storyboard in my life, that'd be fine. You know, like I, I you know, it's not, I, I, it's, it's that, uh, um, you know, I love filmmaking, you know, but, uh, but like I, uh, but comics are directly expressing stuff. That's, you know, right. I can personally sit down and, you know, write, draw, letter, color, you know, a, a comic, uh, you know, dubiously edit it and then, uh, you know, uh, and put it out. Right. Like, so like, like you know, there, there are going to be some typos in this comic if nobody else looks at it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but, you know, but like, but yeah, I can, you know, comics are, you know, a direct expression. Storyboards are not, you know. Okay. So is it, so you, it sounds like from a lot of things you've said, it sounds like you like the idea of the audience seeing your work directly and course, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Don't you? I mean, I mean, I've never done storyboards, so I'm well, you know, yeah, but you've done comics and I mean, yeah. that's a huge part of that, the value. It, you know what? That's true because uh, we were talking, we've talked to a bunch of uh, creators that are like artists who have written a few things and some of them like it more than others, but it always rubbed me. It's like, I can't imagine doing a comic and someone else draws it like like that would feel so weird. And it's like, yeah, I'm not, I, you know, well, I agree with that. But I mean, it's also but not I mean, but only in a sort of like uh, control freak sort of way. Like, I guess that it's you know, like, I mean, I just I don't I look, I'm saying this. Uh, even though right now I'm working on something that I'm writing in another yeah. this is going to go, right? So like, I'm not, but I'm going to be a good person, right? I'm not going to strong arm anybody over anything. It's, it's going to be a collaboration. So, and, I should, uh, I was, and I should say that I have, you know, I've worked on several projects at Marvel where I did storyboards or like layouts for other artists to oh, finish yeah. them. And those were, they were fun collaborations, but it somehow feels a little bit removed. Like it doesn't feel like sure. it's my project as much as it would, I think. I mean, I'm unset. I'm, 
I'm unsatisfied drawing somebody else's script. It's just, mm -hmm. it's boring to me. Like I, you know, I just feel like uh, if I'm not doing the whole thing, if I'm not writing, I mean, you know, at times in the past co-writing, but like, you know, having, you know, a major creative, you know, sway. You want to have input into the story. No, I want to write the story. Like oh, I don't yeah. want to have input oh, okay. in the story. I right. only am interested in writing it because, you know, it's because it's now, just not, I mean, input is just like, ugh, whatever. Are we you talking know, like, comics well, here or is this yeah, actually? Yeah, like, yeah. No, comics, comics, comics. Well, this I brings mean, me to my question. Would you ever want to do a film where you are the oh, director? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm working on that right now. I mean, I'm right. writing a screenplay. I'm, I'm developing it with somebody, their company. I'm like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm making a big effort to do, to do that again. I mean, it's, it's going to play you know, all the parts. You spent, yeah, exactly. There's going to be some typos, but the, uh, but like, I, I just, you know, it's the process of, of getting a, a film made is uh, an unbelievably time consuming and frustrating yeah, one. And so sure. at times I've made big efforts and eventually gone, I'm just going to make this comic because I can literally do this myself. Right. Right. You know, so it, it's, but I am, making a big push to do that right now. Absolutely. It never um, really made sense to me until uh, Riley, when we had Rich Duick on recently, where he talked about how it was kind of like a cool, it, he, the way he phrased it was the first time in all our interviews where I finally got what it's like to be the writer of something you don't draw. Or uh -huh. he, like, it was kind of like seeing the interpretation. It was like, it was like somebody adapting his thing. I was like, oh, I get that. Like yeah. you still yeah. have your script. And you must have had your, because like we're all of us here, we're writers and artists. And like, the, like we ha I have very clear ideas when I'm writing something of how everything looks in my head. And it would just seem to be a very difficult thing for me to surrender my particular vision. But like, well, yeah, approach it. <laughs> I mean, well, when I started, like when I started writing and drawing, I did, I have written things for other people. Like I wrote, you know, arcs of Planet of the Apes books and Star Wars books and stuff like that, like freelance things for other yeah. people in the past. And uh, yeah, the first time uh, I was maybe a little on the heavy handed side with my notes, right? <laughs> like unbelievably heavy handed. <laughs> like, uh, and, you know, uh, and so, but like to, for my, you know, to be uh, uh, like just, the, the thing about it though is that I'm, I was coming out of movies and movies are not, friend like that's not a it's not a not a world where everybody is super supportive of each other and uh everybody uh, everybody's nice right it's okay. a tough world right so like you're and you're always just expected to take criticism move on whatever i mean i think i actually have some maybe there's something wrong in my head now as far as like just if i because i doing storyboards means doing endless amounts of work that just gets thrown away Right? right. Like you can do entire sequences and it can get thrown away at like the drop of a hat because they lost a location, because some idea oh. has changed because of a thousand things having nothing to do with the value of it. Right. So like uh, so I've gotten so like, you know, uh, callous towards things like that. That uh, that like when I do comics, it's like I, I, you know, I put everything into it. And then when I'm done, I'm just like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. Like I have to move on, you know, I mean, yeah. because it's, you know, like uh, so, yeah, I'm not uh, uh, I can I can be a little bit too detached from that sort of stuff. But I was uh, so like coming at 
uh, working with somebody in comics, I was dealing with it a little bit too much like it was movie world and a little too little like I was a, a good person who was uh, being supportive. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you left comics early in your career to go work on movies. Yeah. And, then, uh, and actually, I left because in because the comic industry imploded. Right. Right. In well, yeah, you 90s, mentioned Malibu. Right? And so yeah, that was kind exactly. of like, yeah, things were getting questionable at, at that point. Yep. Um, but <laughs> what uh, what at what point did you come back to comics? It was uh, so I had worked. So uh, Sam Raimi, the director, Sam Raimi, he made three Spider-Man movies on yes. the third one. I worked on the third one and it was uh, it was a really bad movie. Everybody knew it the whole time. I know there's some sort of, you know, rehabilitation of it. After I enjoy other, it. I after mean... other bad Spider-Man movies, it looks good, right? But, the, <laughs> uh, but like, I at the time, it was, a, but more there, than that. There's questionable a, scenes in it. Like, you it know, was a, it was but, a, but I think it's fun. I don't know. To, you, you, you were allowed. I worked on it, so I don't have any perspective anyway. Sure. And it doesn't matter what I think about it. But the, uh, but like, it's more just like it was a very arduous situation where, and I worked on it for almost two years. Uh, the 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 uh, now the second longest movie I worked on because the longest was the previous movie that I worked on that I'm not going to talk about. But it was like it was just such a difficult situation. I was working with like I ended up working with Sam all the time. Like I'd be there. 18 hours a day or whatever. I was on set every day. Wow. I was like, I would meet with Sam to like, I was supervising the previs or just kind of the animated version of the boards, you know? Hmm. And, um, and uh, it was so trying and difficult that by the end of it, uh, we wrapped. Somehow I was still on the movie. Like photography <laughs> is wrapped. We're not, it's, it's over. <laughs> I'm still on the movie. And, uh, and I just have an office at Sony where, uh, and Sam is editing the movie. So like, he just wants me around so that like, if there's an insert shot or something like that, that they want to put in the cut, I could just draw it real quick. So I have nothing to do besides just draw like one or two boards a day. And I'm sitting in this office. And then, and so I decided to draw a graphic novel. I just did it while I was on the show. Uh, they knew, they knew I was just sitting around doing nothing. So right, it yeah. wasn't really that big of a deal, but uh, you know, but yeah, I drew the entire thing just sitting at my desk, being paid to work on Spider-Man. But wow. just don't don't tell people that part. But the, but <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, so like, <laughs> cut that part out, or <laughs> uh, but uh, like so. Um, what what I, book and was I just that? got really back into the. It was this book called Heathen Town. Is like an indie book that uh, that that Shadowline Jim Valentino's company ended up yeah. putting out. Yeah. And uh, and a black and white horror book. And uh, so uh, like then I, it was, it was also actually at a time when podcasts first became a thing. Right. And, you know, so it's like 2006 ish. At, right? at that point, what is it, it's just word balloon. Was there any other it's word balloon? It's uh, I fanboy. It's, yeah, oh, that's right. uh, uh, yeah. it's those nerdy guys from comic club. I think uh, I, I don't remember. Uh, so yeah. like the um, and like, I, I ended up like listening to all that shit to catch myself up on where comics were while I was drawing this graphic novel. And, uh, you know, and then just ended up totally happening into doing like some of those Marvel books and stuff. I didn't try to get those jobs. It was just like, somebody saw, the editor saw some pages of mine and were like, hey, you wanna draw one of these? And I what? ended up just kind of doing it. I wasn't really intent, I wasn't intending to go back and do freelance, you know, draw freelance comics. What, was there any connection between 
getting back to Marvel and working on like Spider-Man movies or anything like no, that? No, no, just none, totally random. None. Like, and to the point where like <laughs> I've spent, you know, it's, it's probably been like a dozen years or whatever it's been, 15 years. I don't know what it's now. Like since I, it, it was like, I mean, when I actually kind of seriously got back to it, it was like 2008 or nine. And um, so like, I, the majority of this, this second comic book career, no one ever knows that I worked in the movies. No one ever makes this connection. Right. I say it all the time. And then people go, <laughs> really? You worked, you worked on the move in, in movies too? Well, you know, or, or somebody will be like, uh, Hey, you, you, you draw these, these comics. You should talk to those movie people and get a job doing stories, <laughs> right? I'm just like, I, yeah, That's, I know. I, it, I the, the amount of disconnection between the two industries even though it's all the same people like doing yeah. all of it is hilarious to me. Yeah. Like I remember when Kari was getting back into comics after working in animation for so Previous long. Previous guest, Kari Rondo. Yeah. yeah. He, um, he, it was either X-Men or spider or uh, not Spider-Man X-Men or Ninja Turtles or something like that. Uh, he was trying to get a gig or something. And they're like, wow, well, I don't know. Can you like draw some samples or something? And he's like, I drew the cartoon. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I've worked with you guys yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like the, the, you know, poster up there, that's my drawing. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, there was a point where I was literally like, uh, I, you know, love planet of the apes. And uh, we ended up doing these planet of the apes comics for boom, just because we wanted to. And yeah. the, um, I'm like, uh, I, there was a point where I was, I was writing and drawing a planet of the apes comic at the same time that I was working on the second planet of the apes movie at Fox. And, uh, you know, they have nothing to do with each other. Somehow they're like, you know, like there's just whoever would at, at 20th Century Fox at the time would you have anything to do with that. But the comic is just in some office somewhere dealing with licensing and, you know, the feature film version has nothing to do with that. And, you know, it's it's just they are very separate in a weird way. Do, do you ever like run into comics people at movie industry events or anything like that? And like, because I've been to a couple and i run into like a comic person and they're just like what are you doing here like i'm not oh, supposed yeah. to like like they're like <laughs> I, I, they're like what is this dude like well, you're, I mean, not part of this crew right. i'm like uh excuse me maybe i am <laughs> i don't know in, in a way not so much because i i go out of my this is this sounds bad for comic book world i go out of my way to not work on superhero movies so like uh, really uh, wait because you've worked on so many <laughs> But this is the era I've, I've worked in, right? Oh, okay. The vast majority of movies are superhero movies, right? That's true. They're, you That's often true. don't have a choice. Right. But uh, but like, I mean, really over the last decade, I've barely worked on superhero stuff. I did Logan and we didn't approach okay. that like a superhero movie at all. Like that yeah, was I guess like, that's, it's a I Western, that right? Yeah. So yeah. like uh, the, you know, I don't, I mean... I guess I don't know I can't how many remember one else. I, I mean, I, I did, you know, I think the last, maybe I, in 2008, I worked on the, an early iteration of that Green Lantern movie. And that was one of the other major things that made me want to not do storyboards all the time because it was <laughs> no. so bad. And like, uh, you know, and it, there were, you know, there was like, at this version, this is, there was a different director at this point before the guy who came on and actually made the movie. Like, and I ended up just working on it for a while and then like leaving, but there was a whole sequence where like, it's uh, the, the guy Herman something or whatever, the, the guy with the big head, somebody Hammond, uh, something, Hector Hammond. Right? Hector Hammond. Uh, he, um, he like creates a whole bunch of rats that also have giant heads 
and uh, and then they go, they run in and they like uh, run up people's legs in a uh, in, in an event somewhere, and I don't know what scare room or something. Like it, there was no this idea went nowhere, but it was somehow like I, I was supposed to do it. And, <laughs> Some director you know, said, "This uh, is brilliant. Put it in." Well, they, I mean, they, you know, it, it was a thing where you know you get in this kind of circumstance on a movie where it's like, what, like, what is this thing? Like, how is how am I supposed to make this good? You right. know, and uh, and it, it wasn't good. And so, <laughs> uh, and and I and I and I, 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 you know, and so, but I, I still, you know, I I worked out this whole sequence, and one of the producers, you know, I have to pitch it to to this revolve. Like, there's eight producers on this movie. I have to pitch to all of them, and then somebody, one of the production designers, somebody came up to me at one point and was like, "Yeah, I don't know if we, you know." if you're really bringing it on this uh, this sequence. And I was just like, rats with giant heads. They're stupid, okay? Like there isn't a version of this that's any good. And, I mean, uh, you know. So was it just basically, I'm just trying to visualize this. I don't know how big their heads were, but is it basically you see like lumps running up people's clothing? Yeah, it's, it's a rat with an enlarged Hector Hammond style head, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, it's like just oranges the, running, like because you running up, clothes. running up to somebody, and a lady go, screams and whatever. But like, where does it go from there? No place because they don't do anything. <laughs> right. You know? If what if it devolves into naked tickle fights? Well, I mean, I think that if are, how are the rats involved in the tickle fights? Because <laughs> they have pinky little fingers, <laughs> and the, the people are throwing their clothes off to get the giant rats out, and their tickly little toes as they run up them are making them start. I'm right. right. Well, look, I mean, really if only, if, look, if you'd been there, then maybe we could have pitched that. <laughs> One day, George is going to do a comic that's not for the all ages market. And it's just going to be the weirdest, most like <laughs> naked tickle fight thing you've ever seen. That's going to be the title. It's going to be called Naked Tickle Fight, the comic. <laughs> I already uh-huh. have 500 pages drawn. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah. I have a question about the Logan movie. I don't know. If you'd even know or um, whatever. I was just thinking about it. There's a point in the movie where X-23 doesn't talk at all. And then yeah. all of a sudden she never shuts up. Is there like a reason for that? Were there like, were there like two different scripts and they're just like, well, we like them both. Let's just do both of them. And like, like what do you, I don't know. You probably had no. I think it's a dramatic there. choice. Yeah. That she's choosing to shut up for a period of time in order, you know, for her own sake. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't have any insight beyond that. Okay. I, I was just wondering actually, if there was. Um, I think the actor Daphne Keene, that's actually when she learned to speak. Oh, As the movie began, it. she was actually, <laughs> she didn't understand the, because con- she's a clone. <laughs> sure. So yeah, uh, I, uh, I do actually remember seeing her audition tape though and uh, and going, oh wow, like she's actually good. Well, actually, yeah, it's, I was working with Jim Mangold on that and I was, at, for, I rarely work in the office, but I was at the office and, and he was like, you know, just called from across the office, just like, Gabe, come look at this. So I went, I remember it, it, it was good. Uh, I, I like that about working with Jim Mangold. He can be very, you know, boisterous uh, of a person. Uh, I also worked with Christopher Nolan, who is not. And uh, you know, uh, I, and, looking at uh, Christopher Nolan's films, uh, I would imagine he's a buttoned yeah. up guy. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they keep uh, they keep the air conditioner uh, turned down pretty low over there. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
when, right. when you're I, I may, on, may not have made a point there. But <laughs> when you're working on storyboards, are you usually on set like that? Because you mentioned that a couple of times or in the office or whatever. Well, I mean, I, the only reason I, I would not be in the office is because I hate working in an art department. And I'm, I've been doing this long enough that I will just be like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to work from home and I can come in for meetings, right? Now, there's no, nobody goes in anywhere anymore, right? right? Like yeah. everybody is working remotely. But um, the, uh, so yeah, in the past, I would have been in the art department all the time or in, you know, in the case of, you know, some things like with, uh, um, with the Sam Raimi movie or whatever. Yeah, I was on set all the time because I was, trying to show Sam things. I was trying to like, you know, I'm working with him on stuff. He's on set. So if, I mean, if we're, if it, if I'm on the thing long enough that it's shooting and I'm in the same physical location, then yeah. I mean, if somebody is, uh, if I have a question, if I need to talk to the director, you go down to set and you talk to him, you know? Does Sam Raimi really wear a suit every day while he's on set? He wears a cheap baggy suit every day. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I like yeah, you added in the uh, details cheap and baggy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Un, you you can't not notice that when uh, in real life. So, uh, like, uh, it, yes, he definitely wears a suit every day, and uh, there's more stuff about all of that. But I'm not going to go into it yeah, here. That's... We'll get you back on our return when we have you back when you talk about the secret movie you can't talk about now. Uh-huh. But this movie, yeah. But just all all that stuff fascinates me because as a comic artist. Where I'm just by myself all the time. I mean, yeah. me and George shared an art studio together for years, which we just did because we were sick of being alone all the time. So, sure, sure. Um, so, we've been so I, range by ourselves. Yeah. So the idea of an art department just kind of blows my mind. I'm like, wow. yeah. Well, it's 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 something for a while, but at a certain point, you've heard everything that everybody's going to say. Sure. In the art part, even if these are different people, they're kind of the same people, you know? Right. And, uh, and like, I've been doing this since I was 22. I just don't need, I don't need to go to another art department lunch <laughs> at some place where I can barely eat anything. And I don't need to go, you know, yeah, like I've heard those not, conversations um, before. Yeah. And there, and just, in a in a like not to sound uncharitable I, I don't even know if it is but like most people who are doing that they don't really they don't come to it because they love movies they don't come to it because of the art or whatever they went to architecture school and they and so they've become a, a draftsman or set designer or whatever you know they you know they like it's just I don't necessarily have loads in common with everybody at the art department right, right. it's not like you know you're in comics you all have this kind of common thing you you have to want to be in comics to be in comics right right you're not coming to comics because you're like Oh, I, I'm giving up my, you know, this is, this is makes so much more money and is easier than architecture or something, right? Like it's, it's, you're coming to comics because you love comics. So if you're, if you have a studio full of comics people, you have things in common, you know, it's not the same vibe, you know? Interesting. Anything on the horizon you're looking forward to? Do you have any more comics in the works or anything like that? Are you thinking about, or you're, yeah, no, I do. I have a couple different projects in the works. I mean, and nothing I can talk about or announce yet because okay. nothing I've set up any place. And I don't want to, um, you know, uh, I, I just don't want to talk about things that aren't, you know, no, sure. aren't real, you know, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm definitely like very deliberately kind of diving back into trying to, trying to get comics done and try, you know, possibly a couple of freelance things, but definitely there are a couple of creator on series and something for us all to look forward to. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm excited to try to get back into doing, to just get back into doing comics. It's been too long. Yep. It's literally been like two years. It's the longest I've gone without doing that since I got back into comics. And, uh, and like, 
all of those, you know, there's an enormous level of satisfaction at doing the work that's the finished work, you know? Yeah. And seeing totally. that finished yeah. project out, like exactly. it's your vision. Completely. And every step of it, like the, you know, the lettering proof or whatever, you know, all of that is great stuff. And like all the typos I, are your typos. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I, I do, I do really find that satisfying. I mean, I just did, I just did this short, like for, uh, for a Kolchak, the Night Stalker, like anthology thing. It's like, it's 10 pages. Um, you know, uh, I wrote and drew it. It was super fun. It's, you know, and obviously it's, you know, it's just a little, it's a little fun thing to do. It's, you know, but, uh, but I did, it, it, it is just enormously satisfying to just do the work and, you know, and do all, all of the little things that are part of the process of making a comic are, are, are really gratifying to me. Yeah. Now, assuming you want people to find you, where is a good place for somebody who finds a typo in your Kalchak the Night Stalker's short story to contact you online? I would say on Twitter, I'm Gabriel Hardman. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Gabriel Hardman Art. Uh, I, in theory, I'm on Facebook, but I never go on there. Uh, and you can find the Hypothetical Island podcast wherever podcasts are downloaded. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at, at Hypothetical Island and on Twitter at, at Hypothetic Isle. <laughs> almost missed that one. <laughs> yeah, it was almost, that's what happened. You take a week off, Riley. I know. Get what our different social media things are. And I take over and just talk about Bigfoot. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I have us blocked on my own social media, so I don't have to deal with this nonsense, <laughs> but here we are. So um, thanks again for listening to the Hypothetical Island podcast. This was for O'Connor. <laughs> this is Riley Brown. <laughs> what, me? Am I supposed to say something? Please. Yes. This is Gabriel Hardman. <laughs> Thanks again. Hypothetical Island. Hypothetical Island.